0: All About You is exactly what it sounds like, a podcast dedicated to the interesting, the wonderful and the eclectic world of you, the listener. Past episodes have included the topics of dyslexia, being catfished, happiness and our superpowers. I am your host, Sheila. Now let's meet this week's guest. So I would like to welcome Shannon to the podcast and we are going to be talking about her life on three continents. Shannon, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. So Shannon, you're originally from the United States. Yes. And we are sitting here in Valencia Okay, so we've got quite a bit to cover then. So how
1: did the transition start? Where, where was the, the seed planted? The seed was planted. I've always loved travel and loved reading. So I guess the seed was planted overall very young. But my husband and I had been married for quite a few years and we traveled a lot in the U.S., but we hadn't traveled overseas since our honeymoon. And one day I just I watched a lot of travel channel, read a lot of books, and it sort of dawned on me, wow, we've, you know, we haven't traveled the way that I, we had pictured or hoped. So we took a trip that year for our anniversary and that maybe kind of inspired it a bit. And then we got into this conversation around sort of taking a break from his job in particular, which was kind of stationary and, and corporate and taking a leave of absence, which his company allowed to do something unique. Originally, we were actually gonna to go to work on a cruise ship, <laughs> selling art. <laughs> this was our this was our original idea. I talked to a, a guy I knew that had worked on cruise ships before and uh, uh, we actually applied, we got accepted to he got his leave of absence approved uh, after a little bit of fighting with the with the company to get that done. Uh, I talked to the company I worked for and said, you know, I'm planning to go do this. And my boss was very kind and said, Are you is this quitting? Or could you still do some stuff for us remotely? This was a long time ago before things were typically remote. And I said, Oh, that would that would be lovely. Let's see what we can work out. So I arranged to work remotely. Uh, the cruise ship thing fell apart in the end. We decided that it wasn't really the right fit for us. And especially with my job allowing me to work remotely, I realized, especially back then, it would be nearly impossible to really do that from a cruise ship. So decided that instead we would do some travel. And that's kind of that's kind of where I'll begin. I mean, <laughs> when, when are we talking? What sort of
0: decade are we talking here? We're
1: talking about twenty around 2010. So, yeah, 12 or so years ago.
0: Because that's quite radical back then compared to what it is now. A lot of people take time out from university mm-hmm. before they work. A lot of people taking sabbatical from work. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, going back 12 years ago, I mean, that wasn't the norm at all, Shannon, was it? And for two of you, <laughs> two completely different jobs. And both parties sort of saying, oh, well, yeah, yeah, it might work, we'll see. Yeah, that's quite something
1: yeah it was very interesting the corporate job they had this sort of policy not really a sabbatical policy you were supposed to use it their example was if you're an athlete and you want to go train for the olympics you can do it okay basically it said once in a lifetime experience so they didn't really like the idea of my, what my husband proposed but it kind of did work within the parameters so he kind of went through it with them and and got them to approve it in my case i was willing to risk it and not have the job at first and i was fortunate to work very very small company and my boss had had the opportunity to job share when she was a young mother and had really appreciated the flexibility so she said you know i'm i'm open ideas you know and I had worked there for a while and built a lot of trust I think that's a nice transition to be able to make when you know they know you well they know what you produce how you how you do the work mm-hmm. so it made it fairly easy but it was a different world trying to work remotely then. the tools were not what they are today <laughs> so it was quite interesting and we first traveled around the US a bit And a little bit in Canada. And then towards the end of the period of time, then we planned our Spain, uh, three months in Spain, basically, uh, because we had some Spanish skills from school. And that was kind of what landed us in Spain. So
0: let's talk about the first bit of traveling within the United States. So your husband is from America as well? Yes. So did you sort of sit down with a glass of wine one evening, a pen and a pad, and basically, okay, this is my list, this is my list, and we'll see how we can put the two together?
1: What we ended up doing was sort of being opportunistic about it. So we had some, things, some people we wanted to go see, friends, family, that kind of thing. So the first part of it was mostly... It wasn't meant to be so that we could just have free places to stay. It did kind of end up being that. But map. that was a bonus. <laughs> yeah, that was a bonus. But it was more to see certain people and do things and road trips. So we did that. And then things came up. And I find this is true in life. Like If you put it out there and you, you know, go for it, there's so many opportunities oh. that are just there. You know, so for example, my parents had a timeshare kind of thing, and they said, oh, like, we won't be able to use our points this year. Why don't you look at the thing and see where you could go? So we had two weeks in Western Canada on them, on their points. Nice. But they didn't have a use for it, so it was great. And uh, again, opportunities, different friends and family we hadn't seen in a while and all of that. And then we started, we really wanted to go overseas. That was part of it. So again, we started looking, okay, where in Europe uh, we speak you know english but we have some spanish so probably if we go to a non english speaking country spain probably makes sense and back then also there wasn't the plethora of airbnb and all of these things there so we actually put our home on a site called sabbaticalhomes.com so it's where people take leaves particularly from academic Uh, jobs and that's how we sort of rented out our home and that's how we found the first place here so completely random I went to Dania, Spain and fell in love. It's very interesting you talking about sabbatical.com
0: because Mm -hmm. I remember many many years ago somebody sort of said oh for a lot of people that are traveling They couch surf. And I said, What's couch surfing? (laughs) They said, Oh, basically, someone's looking just for a night's accommodation. (laughs) They basically sleep on your sofa. I'm like, Oh, okay. And my friend said, Oh, I do it all the time. I had it in my mind, okay, university students, you know, everything they own in a little duffel bag. Oh, no, 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 it's huge. And the people you meet, the connections. And often they'll say, Okay, come and stay with me and I'll cook you an Italian dinner (laughs) or French dinner or whatever it's company for them and it's just amazing
1: yeah yeah and couch surfing I've done some things with I did I never did it for staying but there also are people that they'll just get together so it can be like a meet almost like meetup.com as well we used sabbaticalhomes.com we also did some house and pet sitting which I'm actually kind of getting back into again now but we did that we was on the same trip at the tail end of it we went out to California someone had their dog sitter cancel at the last minute so we had this few weeks before our home rental was up and we went out and stayed on the coast in california and every day i took the dog for these tremendous long walks along the beach i loved it the woman was super happy with us caring for her dog and staying in her place and keeping it safe and so that's another huge one right now that a lot of
0: people do you are absolutely right because i know people who do this and it is huge (laughs) And traditionally in England, I don't know how it works in the States, but in England, if you're going on holiday, you would normally put your cat or dog in like kennels or a cattery. Incredibly expensive. Mm -hmm. Often it doesn't suit the animal. The owner's getting stressed out. The pet's getting stressed Mm -hmm. out. And it doesn't always work for everybody. And then this pet sitting. The pet is in its own house, Mm -hmm. you know, familiar surroundings. And here in Valencia, it is huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. it's
1: really... So there's all kinds of unique things that have come, I think, out of the ability on the internet to sort of set these things up. And, yeah. You know, th- there were informal versions of all the, all this kind of stuff before, but it's made it easier um so that's one the other thing is home exchanging we we were on a home exchange site but because we ended up renting our place out sabbatical homes had that option but we ended up renting out we didn't end up doing it but that's another one that people uh you know do quite frequently if they have a place they trade so there's a lot of unique opportunities
0: because this is the thing i always think when people say oh they're traveling you know we're doing 6 months around europe or whatever they're doing i just think oh my god how much money are they spending in hotels because my mind was not open to the house sitting you know a couple of nights with friends around that just takes it to a whole new level and it rather than staying in a hotel where you're just a guest in room number 401 it's real people real homes real life and it's a hell of a lot cheaper and you can reciprocate with somebody else I mean, it
1: just takes traveling to a whole new world, doesn't it? Definitely, yeah. And even with, uh, we, we tend to do apartment rentals a la Airbnb, but it could be not through that service necessarily. And so even through the sabbatical homes, when we first came here and went to Dania, you know, you have the ability, not always, sometimes they're sort of run by corporate entities, but you sometimes meet the people. uh, Still to this day on Airbnb, we just were in Galicia, we had the nicest woman, you know, that was the um, owner of the place. Um, But we're still friends with the original owner of that apartment in Dania who we just went to visit in Dania recently Uh, so you know sometimes you develop these relationships and things that are extra special that yeah I mean a hotel is a nice thing in terms of sort of being taken care of but when you are doing more of that sort of long-term travel I find you know living in a neighborhood and in a building and being able to grocery shop and cook and sit on the terraza and you know those things uh, I really enjoy those I mean, for us, we did a trip last year and we actually
0: stayed in an Airbnb in London. And it made such a difference because I could go to the English supermarket, buy all the treats we don't get here. (laughs) Oh, we're going to have this for dinner. We're going to have this for breakfast and we really enjoyed it because we sort of worked on oh we've had a big lunch somewhere in the city okay we'll just have some fruit or Mm -hmm. something very very light in the evening and chill out watch a bit of TV and it just made the trip so much easier because it was our schedule as Mm -hmm. opposed to oh we've got to be out of the room by 10 the maid (laughs) needs to come out all very nice having your bed done for you every day but it certainly made a difference to you know our schedule yeah So you spent some time in Denia,
1: okay, so where else did you go in Spain? On that trip, we were based in Denia, but we went down to Andalusia, and we came up to Valencia, obviously, close by. Uh, We went down to Andalusia, a bunch of places around here. I think it was the next time we came back to Spain when we went to the north. Um, So that was pretty much it, it was three months. Oh, we went to a couple other places in Europe uh, as well during that time. I think we were uh, in a couple places in Italy. But that was pretty quick. It went by because we loved Dania so much that we, we really could have not left Dania at all because it was three months of really kind of making it our home. Um, but we did go around a bit. Then we returned back. We did that California house sitting, dog sitting before we went back home. And basically, I cried on the bus to the Valencia airport from Dania because I loved it so much. I, I really, really felt my heart was at home. I I just fell in love with Spain and particularly Dania and the Valencia region. And so when we went back, my husband had been working at home anyway. His company, like many big companies in the U.S., even at that time, had people, you know, were getting rid of office space, had people work at home. I had modified my job and could have maybe changed it back, but liked the way I was doing it, liked the freedom of not working 40, 60 hours a week. So I said why if we're working at home why does home have to be in Florida in the US why can't home be anywhere my husband says, oh yeah that, <laughs> that makes sense to me he loved it here too uh, and so then we came back to Valencia so probably I forget exactly how much longer that was maybe another six months or so we came back for a second second go around at Europe so what is it you like about Valencia and Denia the light is magical here. I just it's just beautiful. I mean you every day is beautiful. I still to this day when I take walks, I take so many pictures and people see them on Facebook and stuff and it's not I don't try to have like an Instagram that people follow or anything I just do it because I can't resist taking the pictures. It's so beautiful. but it's the lifestyle also you know it's you see everyone out and about from age zero to 100, out on the plazas, out in the terrazas it's a life lived kind of outdoors a lot and in community and that feeling of community and that you know you probably know the concept of sobremesa in spain you know where you sit around for an hour or two after your meal and talk i'm a talker you probably <laughs> you probably know that's good for podcasts <laughs> yeah so i i was i felt like oh i'm a, i'm with my people here you know people love to you know be social here so just all of those things uh loved the food Uh, It's Mediterranean, it's beautiful. I mean, it just, yeah, so many things about it.
0: Because the lifestyle you have here is is just everywhere in America, you're in the car. Absolutely. Here, we walk a lot, public transport. Yeah, people do drive a lot. I don't feel Spain is based around the car like a lot of American cities. So a lot of us have a supermarket, a decent-sized supermarket within walking distance, if not two. Yeah. In America, you drive to these great big, big box places, you do a monthly shop, you buy a mountain of toilet rolls, a mountain of this, whereas I go to my supermarket and I'll buy two tomatoes, because that's what I need for lunch, I'll buy uh, two bananas, uh, one of this, and half a, can I have half a cabbage, and nobody bats an eyelid. Absolutely. We We're not geared up here for the sort of the big box monthly shopping, mm-hmm. because... Supermarkets are closed here, and a majority of the stores are closed on a Sunday. But in America and in England as well, it's almost getting twenty-four-seven. Absolutely,
1: yeah, I love it. It's life lived on a much more personal scale. I think when you're on foot, you know, you observe things. You're part of the neighborhood. You, yeah, you know the guy at your local fruteria, and um, yeah, I mean, our building where we live in the same building we live in, we have a consume, a grocery store, a fruteria tons of little bars and restaurants around i we recognize all the families after school they come out and about and i just love that and when i went back to the u.s and then since i've lived that i lived in asia um, where i also didn't drive and when i would go back to the u.s for conferences and things there would be a a whole foods or something just i mean blocks away very close and i would say oh Let's you know walk down there. I'm gonna get something you know to bring back, and people would look at me like I was crazy. You can't walk there. It's a it's a horrible highway, you know. And I would think it's so silly because it's so close. Why would I get in a car? You know, we were staying during the pandemic back at my parents' place, and across the street was a, a entire center full of you know grocery store and restaurants, and at, people would go and get in the car and drive across the street and. It would, husband and I would walk and take a little shopping cart and be, be strange, but it just didn't make sense to us. I think we're incredibly lucky here because no matter
0: what diet comes in, in the past, the present, the future, the Mediterranean diet always comes out on top. And I can really understand that. I think we eat incredibly well, incredibly cheaply. And we have so much access to fresh food on a daily basis. And even on a Sunday when the supermarkets are closed, you know there has to be so many bakeries open mm-hmm. per capita in in your neighborhood because you know the bread of life. Mm-hmm. so for you coming from America and me coming from the UK that's it's been a real bonus for me and, and I'm sure for you as well just that that the food mentality here. Get in the food, you can buy small quantities, you get to know the people in your supermarket and as you say, your fruit and veg shop. Very, very different. And, I, and, I, and you can totally see what they say Mediterranean diet is the best in the world. So Shannon, you talked about Asia. Let, let's have a look at Asia now. So how did Asia come into the mix? <laughs>
1: yeah, so we were here for the second time in Spain and my husband's corporate job, they were doing layoffs, which is quite common, you know, every year getting rid of a lot of people. And so they did that. He actually went here in Valencia to uh, to a Cambridge program for a CELTA. Uh, during that time, he had to, not, you know, a layoff brings opportunities you know and so he did that fell really in love with doing that and with teaching kind of trying to decide what to do I still had the same same work and then the same company that he worked for actually came back to him and offered him something in China so we were you know we were kind of afloat you know what do we do do we go back to the U.S. I remember having loads of you know loads of dinners and conversations with him trying to decide you know what to do go back home do this And so we took that opportunity. We had never thought of going to China to live, but we thought, why not? Give it a try, worst case, right? We're we're kind of in between what we want to do anyway, worst case we go back. So essentially we kind of switched our plans from we were gonna be here longer in Spain and had some personal things with my family and, and health issues too. But we essentially went back and sold our house, every single thing in it. We actually did an estate sale, like it happens after people die, you know. Um, So we had someone arrange it all, get rid of everything. And took just a few suitcases when we moved to China. Went with the thought that it would be a couple years, ended up there for eight years. I've never been to China. What was that like? Was it a baptism of fire? In a way, yes. I remember... even though we talked about it a lot, ended up being sort of a whirlwind once we made the decision. Very, very fast paced kind of move there. Uh, So it was a bit of Baptism by Fire. We moved when it was their national holiday week. And so we also, the true Baptism by Fire was going to Ikea. I can't really describe it, but people go and they actually sleep in the beds and hang out on the couches and like live, not live, not really live, but hang out in Ikea normally there and the holiday it's exacerbated <laughs> even more so we go to you know we have to buy all of our belongings uh for our apartment and we go in the craziest possible time of year and so that was truly you know a cultural awakening uh for us there so we were kind of thrown in it was a bit overwhelming but my attitude towards travel and also living overseas is very much one of, I said this one time to somebody, I think on a podcast, probably instead of culture shock, I look at it as cultural curiosity or cultural like excitement. So I think, wow, this is so interesting. Why do people do this this way? Hey, that's actually smart to go hang out in Ikea where they have comfortable couches. <laughs> you know, wow. And so I, that's the way I kind of look at it. So It was tiring at times and a bit overwhelming, but really, you know, kind of exciting and and interesting. And we were in Shanghai. It's such a vibrant city. It was just an amazing time to be there.
0: I mean, I just imagine it's 24-7 at warp speed.
1: It pretty much is, although it's a culture where I think if you thought it's a city that's a lot bigger than, for for example, New York. Uh, I mean, there are clubs and things, I guess, that stay open late, but it tended to be a city where, for the most part, it did kind of shut down at a quiet hour and woke up early so it was uh not quite that city that never sleeps that new york is but yes very very fast paced very intense 26 million people (laughs) and what about language did you speak a little bit of chinese we took lessons when we got there and we learned enough sort of i'll call it taxi chinese so that we could you know pronounce things a little bit i never learned to read and write uh, so we could get by with some of that. But fortunately, Shanghai was so international that you were able to you know get around and with with apps and things. Uh, I feel like in here I need to know Spanish more than I needed to know Chinese there. But to us, we said, you know it kind of it make life, makes life exciting that you go out and you think, oh, I'm going to win today. I'm going to go to the bank and I'm going to get that. I'm going to beat the Spanish bank. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to beat the bureaucracy or whatever. I'm going to make it there and I'm going to learn something. And I feel like it keeps your brain young. I I remember specifically in China, we thought we would only be there a couple of years. So we did want to learn, but there were people that had been there 10, 12 something years, you know, British, American, you know, English speakers typically in, in a corporation where they worked in English and they would, I didn't have any Chinese really and I I, you know looked down my nose at them oh how could you be somewhere you know and I do think it's important to learn language but then I was there eight years and over time I adapted to being able to manage my life and I kept thinking I'm not going to stay here forever so I kind of dropped the ball on it so it does happen so I've learned also not to be so judgmental (laughs) of other people yeah Yeah. I I think the thing is When you move
0: to another country, and I've been thinking a lot about this lately, with conversations I've had, you become a different person. Mm -hmm. You have to literally hold your head up high, push those shoulders back, tie on those shoelaces, Mm because it can get a bit bumpy sometimes, and you do become a different person, Mm -hmm. because everything is different. It's not just the language, it's the traditions, Mm -hmm. the culture. You know, we eat at different times here. I remember (laughs) the first three months when we moved here, we were just hungry because we couldn't <laughs> hang out till two o'clock for lunch, yeah. when I'd used to be having lunch at twelve o'clock in the office. Yes. So meal times was a huge thing, but it's getting used to, particularly the Spanish clock calendar. What what's it like in America? Are you by the
1: hour, by the calendar? I th- I mean, people definitely are more by the yeah by the what the weather is like more yeah you see people in all different kinds of stuff but i definitely think less most places probably less bundled up, you know, than, than what you would see here and which I'm cold natured. So I get along well, again, like, I feel like I was misplaced, you know, that I should have been in (laughs) born in Valencia or something because the, the talking, the, the lifestyle, the the bundling up in the, um, but yeah, I think in the U S also, because we drive so much, things are so different because we're not out in the weather as much, you know, I think, here, I, I think in the world, it changed a bit during the pandemic, because more people started eating outside and things. But here, it's always been that way. So yeah. people are used to, oh, well, it's winter, but I'll, I'll sit down on a terrace, dress warmly, sit under a heater. You know, it's still sunny and, and, and nice. And, they, and people enjoy that fresh air. So yeah, just very different.
0: So if we go back to China then, what is one of the things that you didn't expect? I mean, you know communication is going to be a problem, finding your way around, all those things wherever you go. But what's one thing and you went, oh my God, I didn't even consider this... Or that, or this could be a problem.
1: I guess. I mean, there were so many little things um, with culture, just like you mentioned here, meal times and things. So, like that IKEA example is one. When we first moved there, there was a very interesting cultural dynamic, even amongst people in China, with like with things changing, right? So, one of the things was, you know, a lot of people would go in, and again you know, people just, people judge, you know, on the face value. So they would say there was a big, a fairly big thing of people spitting, for example, and also babies and little kids sort of urinate or like use the bathroom. They wouldn't wear diapers and things. So these little things like that, which people could just look at and say, Oh, gross, you know, but you have to kind of understand where some of that comes from and you also have to see this transition that's happening where the younger people who were more urban and had traveled, they were actually having the same cultural battle with their elders so the spitting thing for example i saw young chinese people you know yell at older chinese people when they did say that's not clean you know that's not proper you know germs and all this stuff so you saw these transitions so just watching that happen i think was interesting and also learning there's so many preconceived notions about China, and it's more about the Chinese government than Chinese people, and so separating those two things out, but I would say that, I mean, there's some challenges there for sure, and that actually was kind of getting, I would say, worse as we were over there, but just understanding the the absolute friends and the kindness of Chinese people. Again, I think there's, you know, it's like every culture. We have these, you know, we have the like the ugly American tourists, the ugly British tourists, you know, the people that, you know, go and give a bad reputation and especially within Asia, there would be Uh, That same thing with Chinese tourists traveling, where they would get a bad reputation for pushing or doing things like this. But if you if you got to know the people, they were so kind and so helpful. So that was also just a lovely thing to experience. So so much, but also just how completely unknowable it still is as a place and culture to me, even after eight years. And I learn. I tried to really absorb as much as I could. But do I fully understand everything? No, I can't say. I mean, the
0: education you get of living in another country, I think is phenomenal. And I would really, really suggest to anybody, if they can, and it's a lot easier now in a global environment with companies to maybe do a year in another country, Mm -hmm. even if it's a year in Europe, get that experience of living in another country, the education you get and personal growth because you've got to be a different person if you're going to do that it's just phenomenal i've always said travel is the best education there is but to actually sort of put yourself in another country and just try and live there even if it's like just six months if you get the opportunity absolutely give it a go tired people um you know a friend of mine took a gap a senior gap year as he calls it yeah packed his little travel van up and off he went and you know amazing end up writing a book giving lectures wow. you know kudos to him yeah. so i think years ago the gap year was always for college students mm-hmm. now as you say companies if they're going to give you a bit of time off and a lot of companies now if you're working on a volunteer program mm-hmm. you know you get time off they pay you and then you come back to your job
1: I would definitely recommend it if you get the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, companies should want people to have an international experience because you learn. there's so many things that you can apply to. Even if you're just within your own country and you have customers, you know, there's different areas of a country that have different cultural things. And so being able to work with different people and understand that stuff, I think it opens you up a lot to that. It's such a great education. And I always, what I always like to do is even when I'm just traveling somewhere short term, also I look for podcasts about the place. I like to read books because again, that was something I'd say that China especially taught me is wow, it's this ancient history, this complicated modern history because politically it's been very interesting the last many years since 1949 there. The West has a lot of ideas about it in in the Western media and stuff like that. So it's like, I, I can't figure all that out, but I can try to read a lot about it. There was an amazing China, like political podcast in English that I used to listen to all the time. All these smart China scholars, it's like I can learn from them a bit. So I think, you know, we can apply that mindset even if we stay home. There's plenty of ways that we can learn about places. I think it's great to do that. I mean, me and my husband, we spent a couple of days
0: in Madrid in the spring and I did all my research on YouTube from just normal people you know they weren't professional travellers just okay if you're coming to Madrid this is a great place to go for a hot chocolate this is how you know the best place to get the tickets for the museum online so much information and I literally had a list and I had the name of the person and their YouTube channel and I was like you know we didn't accomplish everything but you know I've done this one right Well, I got back I sent an email to that person saying, thank you so much. Due to your information, we found it. We had a great time. We took your recommendation. We had this, this, and this. And that's that's just fantastic. And I love the way that normal people are just going about with their mobile phone and a microphone, walking around and doing these incredibly informative and very, very professional Videos that they put up on YouTube completely free Mm -hmm. and for research because it's nice to get the locals doing it about their city or their town where to go, what not to do this what happens on a
1: Wednesday don't go there on a
0: Thursday morning It's, it's just so valuable definitely,
1: yeah it's great and I mean you, I think the other thing that you get from living overseas is that you're not in your comfort zone and some people like this, some people don't I find it's been really helpful in... There was a whole discussion and I run this thing called Podcast Brunch Club. One year, the theme was about friendship and friendship as an adult. And it was talking about making new friends. And so many people talked about the struggle and how do you do it. Well, I said, oh, as foreigners living in foreign countries, we get a constant education in that. I mean, you could... Not do it, and it could be a struggle and for you. But you kind of have to. You kind of have to continually, you know. In Shanghai, we had people coming and going all the time, so you had to learn to use Meetup. You had to learn to put yourself out there and go to these things. How how do you make friends as an adult? And I think that's a really valuable skill that I see people, even if they stay in the same place forever, there maybe things change, their friends change, they but they don't know how to go about it. And you wouldn't, you know, it makes sense. But that was another thing that I think it's been a gift that living overseas has given me to always kind of forces you out of your comfort zone a little bit forces you to meet people of different ages different backgrounds different countries you know you're not kind of in that stayed you know kind of rut you know it's easy
0: it's very interesting you saying that shannon because i was thinking the other day the amount
1: of people
0: i know now and yes through having a podcast it has really sort of exploded the amount of people i know But even if I took the podcast out of that equation, the people I know, whether I class them as friends, acquaintances, or whatever, I don't think you want to put them in boxes, but the amount of people I know through various activities, groups, you go to this restaurant, you get to know these people, you go to this coffee shop, the amount of people I know now, whereas if I would still be living my same life in the UK, and there was nothing wrong with that, but the amount of people, it, it, it's just off the scale compared to in the UK and here. Do you think that is because we have to work harder at building relationships or we put ourselves more out there?
1: Yeah, I think it's a combination of sort of necessity because you're not, you don't have that automatic group. You know, that when you have that and you're at home, It's kind of, it's almost looked at as odd. Why would I, when I lived in the same place, why would I go on meetup.com? Unless you have a very specialized interest, people would think it's kind of strange. Why do you, but when you're living in a a foreign place, it's sort of accepted. People also have that commonality, that common thread. You know that other people are in that same, so you might really have very little in common with them. You're going to find the ones you have stuff in common with, but you go to a, a meetup or a group. What you all have in common is that you're all not in your home country in your home place so it gives that that common thread initially so it's a little bit that and then also maybe also the nature of people that are willing to do that there's something in that that you have a curiosity you have to, to keep doing that I mean you might go from ne- for necessity originally but if you if you stay living in a different place it's probably because you have some of that that curiosity and that openness I think that's that's very interesting the
0: curiosity and the openness I, I think that is definitely the way to look at it we've talked about Europe we've talked about your travels in Spain we've talked about
1: your time in China
0: is there anything on the list coming up in the future?
1: We. I really love Valencia and Spain so I feel like this is the intention is for this to be the home base as long as Spain will keep having us you know, we, we're t- temporary residents so we always have to renew that we're doing that right now um, but as long as Spain will have us, I think it will be. But we are, we are spending more sort of longer chunks of time in different places, whether it even be within Spain. So we were in Galicia for two weeks in August. So August tends to be a little horrible <laughs> in Valencia. Well, otherwise, I imagine us staying maybe outside of Valencia most Augusts, we tend to go away in March because the big Fies festival is here and it's a little difficult for to live through that so uh, what i'm seeing is sort of being that you know going away for these chunks of time mm-hmm. kind of thing i would love to travel more in south america because that's somewhere i haven't experienced i don't necessarily think i would live there but i can see going there for longer periods as well i don't think i would go back to live in asia now because i tr- we tr- we traveled to almost every country in east asia at least don't i feel like i'm you know i've covered that for the most part but there's so much of europe i still haven't seen so i mean Europe might I mean I have a long list and there's so much more here even within Spain I keep going to all these different cities in Spain I've checked off a lot this year but I mean it's the list continues on I mean there's gems all over
0: we're very much the same because for those that don't know in Valencia in March we have a week called FIAS and it's a celebration of spring if you live here, a lot of people will move out because a lot of people come to it, it's fireworks, it's fire, it's noisy, it's just crazy. We're the same, we generally will do one day of fires, so go and see the monument, see a fireworks display and we go. Mm-hmm. Because... March is a great time to travel within Spain, depending Mm -hmm. on where you go. It's low season, the kids are in school, hotels are cheap, we've got no tourists. It's a great time, and that's what we do. We sort of do sort of four day trips around Spain. Mm -hmm. And it's incredibly easy on public transport. Mm -hmm. I mean, the trains here are just fantastic. Um, If you take a flight, generally you can get two euro 50 bus from the airport into the city. Mm -hmm. So I think there's an awful lot of Spain we would like to discover. Quite lucky living in Europe that it's quite easy to get to an awful lot of places,
1: yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful. So there's so much more. So right now that's kind of the immediate you know, thing is, is kind of staying here. And I don't know for sure if we'll stay in the Valencia city long term or maybe go a little bit outside, but somewhere again accessible by public transport and lots more to explore. So we'll see. And I would like to get back to Asia. I actually didn't have a planned Uh, leave. It was totally pandemic forced, I guess you could call it. So I feel like there's some loose ends, you know, that I'd love to kind of wrap up there at some point. Um, But for now, there's so much in Europe and Spain, just I mean, even Valencia province, you know, there was a period of time where we couldn't leave the province, you know, in 2020. There's so many little towns and beautiful things, mountains, nature. I mean, it's just, it's lovely. So sometimes it's nice when you get forced into that, you know, local travel and you start to discover more of your region. One last question, Shannon. So as a citizen of the world, where do you call home? That is a really good question. I tend to say where I am living at the moment. So for me, Valencia is home. Because even in the U.S., we lived so many places, so I don't feel connected back to it. So my parents are now in a place which wasn't where I grew up. My brother's kind of near where I grew up. So there's not even an answer really within the U.S. So I'll say I'm originated, you know, I'm from the U.S., but Valencia is home now. So, Shannon, thank you so much for taking us on a
0: tour of your adventures. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It was great. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please subscribe for future episodes on whatever platform you are listening to. It's free. And if you have a story to tell, please contact me on all about you podcast at yahoo.com and let's get your story told.